just read our text again. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband to them. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Today, I want to continue where we were with the we kind of got to the end of the first testament of the first will talking to you about the last will and testament and I'd like to introduce you to the new testament or the new will and I'm asking you to follow along with the scriptures very closely as we go through the promise of what the old testament writer wrote that God was going to put something in our lives when you read the Old Testament, you find that they were moved on by the Spirit of God. But the new will, he's putting it in our hearts, putting it in our lives. Savior, we thank you for your word and truth today. And we ask you to help us today as we break the bread of life, bring strength from your word. And we stand upon the authority of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me do just a little bit of repetition today in case some was not here last week. We talked about the Old Testament or the Old Will, which was by the blood of bulls and of goats and bullocks and turtle doves. And those sacrifices pushed their sins forward for a year. And then there was an annual lamb sacrifice. And uh, that was to cleanse the entire nation and to complete what was pushed forward. Then we recognize that John met Jesus on the shores of the Jordan River, and uh, John introduced Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So he became that Lamb that all the sins of the Old Testament, the old will was pushed forward until the Lamb of God was slain. And uh, that brought us to where we are tonight. I'm going back in the book of Hebrews, and I just want to touch on Hebrews 9 and 14. It said, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, and for this cause, I like that, for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament that is what Jesus came to do he came to take care of the sins the transgressions that was under the first testament or the old testament or the old law or the old will every sin from the time of Moses instituting the law and the uh, the religious law side of ceremonial processes of sacrifice and bloodshed 
It, it could not make the comers there and too perfect, Hebrews said in another place. And so it was just pushed forward every year. Uh, the sins of the people when they would come, it just pushed it forward until Jesus Christ came. And he, through the eternal spirit, and I want you to catch that because it was Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. I take you to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, and we'll read a couple of scriptures. It said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, to wit, or acknowledge this, that God was in Christ. And here's where you understand the eternal spirit. The eternal spirit was in Christ. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And as I mentioned last week, Jesus is a son because he was born at the time of the law and he was born of a woman. He was not a created being. He was born under the law and he was born uh, of a woman. And the Holy Ghost is the father of Jesus according to the scripture that he, the Holy Ghost overshadowed uh, the Mary and she conceived. So we must recognize that the eternal spirit is none other than God, of course, that was in Christ, but it's also the same spirit that came to us as the Holy Ghost, for it is the Holy Spirit of a deceased one, and Jesus is the one that died. So there is an eternal spirit that fits every area of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that eternal spirit was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body, which is Jesus, and there's one spirit, which is the eternal spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And I propose to you today, just as the Holy Ghost is the Holy Spirit of a deceased one, which is Jesus, we have the Spirit of Christ in us, we have the Spirit of God in us, and we have the Holy Ghost in us, and that's not three different spirits, it's that one spirit, that eternal spirit that did a work at Calvary for you and I today. For God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So he used the sonship, or he used the body, <coughs> which was made of a woman, made under the law, to bring about a sacrifice because God could not die. He was that eternal spirit. It could not die. So Hebrews also said, a body hast thou prepared me. In other words, a body was made for the very purpose of sacrifice at the age of 12. Even Jesus said when they brought, came to him at the, at the court of Sanhedrin or wherever those judges were, he said to them, I must be about 
my father's business. So he knew that the government of all heaven and earth was upon him because that eternal spirit was in him. So then it goes on in the 20th verse of the 5th chapter of 2 Corinthians. said, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. In other words, the ministry of reconciliation is given to the church because we don't have the body of Jesus Christ on the earth today. That body has ascended as a glorified being, and the book of Revelation speaks to us in the fourth chapter that he is sitting on that one throne, and he is that one person that's sitting on that throne, and he is now, of course, God manifest in the flesh or in that glorified body. Now, if you keep coming back, you'll hear me teach a little more on the eternal spirit, but I must go on today a little farther. I would like to spend some time on the eternal spirit, but it is such a, a broad and big subject. I can't get it all in where I want to go today. So if you come back again, good hook, you know, to get you to come back. And, uh, and I'll talk on that just like I'd like to get on the seventh day and I'd like to get on a few other subjects. And we'll do that if you'll just keep coming back. You know, it's interesting. It, it would be very hard on me to get up here and you not be here. I have come in here and prayed, and nobody's here, and I've mentioned your name because you wasn't here when I prayed during the week, but I'm glad that you're here today. So a little hook in your jaw that I'll teach on some more of these things if you'll just keep coming. So I go back a little bit farther and uh, reading on that God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. The very purpose of this service is not to bring a, a, a lamb with four legs or a turtle dove with two wings or a bull or bullock with two horns. Uh, it's, it's, to, it's to come in here and understand that Jesus is our lamb, slain from the foundation of the world in the mind of God. For John 1 and 1 said, In the beginning was the word or the logos or the thought processes of God. In the beginning, God thought this all out to redeem man. If you think church is a second thought or a second happening from the Old Testament, it's not. This is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's a fulfillment of the old will. And we're here today understanding that all of the Old Testament bloodshed and all that went through with the killings and the wars and all of that was to teach us how to fight things spiritually today. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood anymore. We wrestle things in the spirit. We fight things in the spirit. And we try in our way today in this service to sing and worship and prepare your hearts and our hearts and my heart to be in the presence of the almighty God who has brought a lamb to this service that has been slain and his blood shed, as the song said, what a good song we sang today, that we as individuals could approach the throne of grace with mercy and understand the power of a living God that thought this thing out a long time ago and brought his will to be and put that will in Jesus Christ. And when he died, that will was complete. And now we have to live by a new and better covenant. Let me read on. Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us. 5 and 21, 2 Corinthians, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
I must tell you, though you may feel like you are spiritual and you are righteous, Isaiah said, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have nothing to offer God but a sin-cursed life. But he has, a, he has a way of offering us his righteousness in us. Now, I, I'm going a little slow today because I want you to grasp this. We are not righteous in our own self, no matter how we confess or what we try to do. What makes us righteous is God in us. Just like he was in Christ, he now is in us. Hallelujah. I don't know whether that does anything for you, but that makes me excited and humble. It makes me excited to know that God loved me, but it makes me humble to know not everybody is loved like I've been loved, nor do they understand the love of God like I understand it. He picked me up out of a world of confusion. I cannot confess to you all that I am and have been in my life. I can only tell you that I am here by the grace of God and he has loved me and put his stamp of approval upon my life through the Holy Ghost, not because of my own righteousness, but because of his righteousness, because of his blood, because of his name, because of what he has done. Oh, hallelujah. We made him sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, the hope that he is invested in the church today is what he wants in himself through the church. So the contrast of the New and the Old Testament or the First Old Testament is where we must understand the fulfillment of it in Jesus Christ. For where a testament is, there must also necessity be a death of the testator, and that will it would be an effect as long as the testator is alive. And that's where we came last week into the thief on the cross because many people questioned, well, he wasn't baptized, he didn't confess, he didn't do anything. Um, he was actually speaking to the other male factor when Jesus turned to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was still alive. He could do whatever he wanted with the will, and he did and put him somewhere in paradise. And I'm not sure altogether what that means because I do only believe there's two places there's heaven or hell and you have to make your choice which one you're going to be with but he was with him somehow spiritually or however you want to take it so going on in uh, it said saying this is the blood of the of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you moreover he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, this is going back to Hebrews 9. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. And the reason I wanted to go back to Hebrews 9 was that it's talking about the blood being uh, sprinkled of all the vessels and in the tabernacle. So when you when you look, and, and I'm just doing a little repeat, but when you look at the tabernacle furniture, when you're coming into the tabernacle in the wilderness or even into the temple, they built it on the same pattern. You would come in through three gates or three uh, curtains. There were four posts that held the three curtains. They were, their colors represented the deity and the royalty, majesty of God or of Jesus Christ. And by the four posts was the four gospels, which brought us into the New Testament. It was God's plan all the way from the beginning. And so you would enter in at that place, which would be the gospels and the deity and royalty of Jesus Christ in type and shadow from the Old Testament. And then there was a place of burnt offerings, and that was where the sacrifice was burnt and the blood was shed. 
and uh, it typified, of course, uh, repentance or death because all things in the New Testament are by the plan of salvation, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the plan of salvation. And so you came into the tabernacle, and there was the altar of burnt offerings, uh, and it was at the foot of the cross. And then you would go to the brazen labor, and even Moses stated in that type and uh, shadow of baptism, he said, even the priest and the high priest had to wash lest they would die. You can find this in the book of Exodus. And the threat of dying uh, was there if you did not wash. So they had bloodied hands from their experiences of dying or death with the animals. And they would wash and cleanse themselves, which is a type of the death and the burial. And the washing is a burial. So when you repent of your sins, you're repenting of your sins. And then there is, that's a, that's a death. And then there is a burial with Jesus. Prophet, the, uh, the apostle even said, we are buried with him in baptism. And so it's a burial. So that was the second place. And then, then there was the, the, uh, the altar of, uh, of uh, uh, incense. And you went inside, and, and there was tables of showbread on each side, and then the altar of incense, rather, on the inside of the tabernacle. And then you went into the uh, holiest of holies. So there was a path that represented Calvary or the cross of the furniture that was even in there because God in his mind knew what he is doing with all of that interjected into this New Testament. So the crucifixion brought about a completion of that. And as I stated last week, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom when Jesus Christ died, which made it where we could now enter into the holy place for ourselves without restriction. And I mentioned it, very interesting why I even mentioned it again, but it would take 100 plus men to fold or take care of that because it was either from an inch <clears throat> to four inches thick, it was high, it was 60 feet long and 30 feet high, and it took a lot of men to carry it and lift it. So you couldn't just, you couldn't just stumble into the mercy seat. It had to be a direct thing with the high priest. So Jesus Christ became our high priest, uh, and when he went in and administered the blood of the sacrifice in the mercy seat, it was rent in two, and now we can press our way in to the mercy of God. Hallelujah. It's not just something that you find laying on the street. The, John the Baptist said that violence is, is here, and the violent take it by force. In other words, you have to do more than just let the blood of Jesus Christ fall on you. You have to acknowledge it. You have to accept it. You have to work with it and press your way into the mercy seat and find the mercy of God. I'm here to tell you that today we believe in Calvary and all that it has done for us. So the veil in the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, representing the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for all humanity. This is where the New Testament really began. It was not until that, that veil was rent in two uh, that the new will was instituted because of the death of Jesus Christ. But then he rose from the dead three days later. And now he's going to institute a new will. He's going to institute what he prophesied and had the prophets write about in the Old Testament. There's a day coming that I'm going to put something on the inside of you. I'm going to write it on the tables of your heart. Oh, hallelujah. We're living in exciting times today. 
We're living in extraordinary times today because we're not just a religious order somewhere. We are the church of the living Christ. Uh, we are born again of his spirit and the power of the almighty God is in us. Uh, and we now, we now boldly can press our way into the mercy of God. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your background is. Uh, you can press your way into the presence of almighty God for yourself. Well, hallelujah. For yourself, praise God. So while the testator was alive, he could change the will, and uh, he did. But now that Jesus has died, and the new will or the new testament is in force because of the rent of the, the curtain in the temple, now we can press our way in. Verse 12. This is a beautiful, beautiful scripture that I want to bring back to you. And uh, just, just, just listen to this for a moment. Such a powerful verse of scripture that uh, my, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. It was the blood of bulls and of goats, but now it's the blood of Jesus. And then he said in Acts 20, 28, for I have not shunned to declare unto you, this is Paul's writing, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, Acts 20 and 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Verse 28, <clears throat> take heed therefore unto yourself and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. I thank God that we don't have to go to some idol somewhere. The apostle called them dumb idols because they could not speak, they could not hear. We don't have to go to some dumb idol somewhere, but we can go to God ourselves because he purchased the church with his own blood. How did God do that? A body was prepared for him, and the blood was God's blood in his veins. It was not Joseph, the earthly father representation of the home. It was God. It was the power of the Holy Ghost that overshadowed Mary, and they know and say that the blood comes from the Father. And I'm here to tell you that the church of God was purchased. The church of God was purchased by his own blood. Hallelujah. So the blood of Jesus brought to us the power of redemption. And so I go on today and preach to you. Jesus has now risen and is clearly stating the new will, which is now in effect. The great commission or the great covenant or the great testament is clearly stated in three books of the Bible. Matthew 28, 19 was the first book that it is mentioned in. It was the first uh, part of the new covenant. And it simply said, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. With power vested in Jesus now, he is opening the new will. He is now a new body. He has a glorified body. The eternal spirit is in that glorified body. And now he's making decisions and clearly stating what must be in this first will, this last will and testament as I call it. 
And he went on to say, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. So that is a designation that you need to find out what the name of the Father is because Father is a title and not a name. And then he went on to say in John 5 and 43 that I am come in my Father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. That's where religion is today. So many times they accept so many other things except for Jesus. But Jesus said, I come in my Father's name. And so his Father's name is Jehoshua or Joshua, which really is interpreted into the New Testament as Jesus. So he came in his Father's name, which is Jesus. And then he said, and baptizing them in the name of the Son. We certainly know what the name of the Son. You'll notice that it is not plurality of names. It's a singular name. You baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He didn't say names. He said names. So listen to the scripture talk rather than dogmas or man. <clears throat> so he said, and baptizing them in the name of the Son. And you know the scripture, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then baptizing them in the name of the Holy Ghost, John 4 and 26 but the comforter which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name he shall teach you all things bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo I'm with you always even to the end of the world so that 20th verse is a, a, a scripture to hang on to he said teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you this was one writer one writer by the name of Matthew but then when you go to the book of Mark 16 and 15, he adds a dimension to this and says that you must be a believer, not just to have a baptism, but you must be a believer. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That was the second writer of the new covenant or the new will. And then Luke seems to really clarify it all and very well stated in Luke 24 and 44 said, Jesus speaking, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, for all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. You can go back to the Old Testament and you can find the prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus, and this is what he's talking about. And then verse 45, he said, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And I may say at this lesson, you need to pray and ask God to open your understanding to the word of God, not to the creeds of men, third century writers or anybody else. You need to listen to the word of God and let God open your understanding to the scriptures. Now, not everybody gets a revelation at the same time, nor everybody gets a revelation at one lesson being taught like I'm trying today. But if you will pray and ask God to give you an understanding of the scriptures. He will lead you from the Genesis to the book of Revelations uh, in who the I am really is, and his name is Jesus. So he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins uh, should be preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning 
at Jerusalem. So this new will was established at Jerusalem. This is Jesus' own words telling them that I'm giving you an understanding of what I want. Now you got this understanding. Now I want you to go to Jerusalem. In verse 48, he said, And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Verse 50, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. I read to you now the three areas and writers so that Paul said that in the mouth of two or three witnesses let every word be established <clears throat> that these three writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, gave to us a rendition of what they heard and understood about the new covenant, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ and what he said to do. And each one of them was emphasizing the name, baptism, and receiving the Holy Ghost. You go to Jerusalem and you wait till you are endued with power from on high. I like this. It's a powerful scripture and we understand what he's talking about. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16 and verse 17. Listen to this powerful scripture because this is Paul again writing as he understood. Now it's a whole lesson to go into Paul's conversion. You know he's knocked down on the road to Damascus. But he also just disappeared from all the other apostles for a while. And he was in the Arabian desert and talked directly to God. He even spoke about that himself. But then he came back to Jerusalem. And there confirmed what he had been told, what he had learned, and knew that Jerusalem was teaching the same thing that the Apostle Paul was teaching. And so Paul comes up with this writing in the book of Colossians as he's writing to them about the new will. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, singing with grace in your hearts. Oh, I like some of our songs that really bring about this scripture in a powerful way because singing is what prepares you for the word of God. Worship is what gets your heart plowed into furrows so the seed, the word of God can be planted in your heart. And so he's telling us that the word of God must dwell in us richly through these things. And then verse 17, he says, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all. I just want it to sink in because he didn't say do part things or this or that. He said, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. When you understand the last will and testament, it's all to be done in the name of Jesus. When we pray for the sick, which we will do in a few moments, uh, we anoint with oil as the scripture said. And we pray for you in the name of Jesus. When we pray over our food at home, we pray in the name of Jesus. When we travel in our car and we're asking the Lord to keep his hand upon us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Everything that we do around here, we do in the name of Jesus. How many of you remember when you were baptized in the name of Jesus? 
Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm telling you, this is a church that believes and exalts the name of Jesus, for it is a name that is above every name, and it is a name that the whole family of God in heaven and in earth is named. That's why sometimes people call us Jesus' name people. That's all right. We'll take his name any way you want to put it on us. We love the name of Jesus. Major prophet and a minor prophet both gives to us some inside nuggets. Even though these two prophets was talking somewhat of the millennial time of the return of Christ. Both of them interjected something that I want to bring to you in Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3. And many people shall go and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of God, to the house of God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in the paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Do you think Isaiah was missing it when he said that the word of the Lord was going to come from Jerusalem? And that is what Jesus told them to do. You go to Jerusalem and be endued with power from on high. And I'm going to tell you what to say in Luke and, and Mark and Matthew. And that new will was instituted. And that was a major prophet. Then a minor prophet. Micah chapter 4 and verse 2. Almost word for word. One spoke more to Israel while the other spoke to all people. And you find that in major prophets and minor prophets. The real reason is the major prophets are 12 of the Old Testament and most of their writings has concerned Israel and future events where minor prophets pick up the New Testament will. And so both things in Isaiah and Joel, a minor prophet, which we'll get to in a moment, are reiterated in scripture as being a part of the new will, interjecting the Old Testament into the new will or the New Testament be fulfilled in it. And so Micah said, and many nations, speaking broader terms than people, Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It is no light thing that Jesus said, You go to Jerusalem, you begin the last will and testament at Jerusalem. That's where the beginning of it is, and I want you to preach it from there, and they did preach it from there. Let me just interject also part of the death, burial, and resurrection written by Isaiah 28 and 9. <clears throat> this is also a major prophet. Whom shall ye teach knowledge, and who shall ye make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. In doctrinal studies, you have to understand the Bible interprets itself. The Bible is going to give you here little and there little. But precept must be upon precept and line must be upon line. But you can take here little and there a little. And then he introduced the new will in the Old Testament. God putting this into your hearts. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. Yet they would not hear. Old Testament people rejected it. But we accepted it. We acknowledge it. And in a world that is so tired, a world that is so confused, 
a world that is hurting, where nobody has an answer out there. Religion is failing a generation of people. Politicians are failing a generation of people. I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ will never fail you. And when you're tired of this old world, there is a rest, hallelujah. There is a rest in the house of God. There's peace in the house of God. There's power in the house of God. There's revelation in the house of God. There's deliverance in the house of God. There's victory in the house of God. Today, I can stand with my hands and say I press my way into the mercy of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout. Why don't you just worship Jesus for a little bit? Why don't you thank him for his mercy? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And this brings a whole nother, nother little, little avenue that I could go off on, but I'm not. But if you come back, I'll teach on it. But we are not Seventh-day Adventists. We are Seven-day Adventists. We don't just worship one day. And how can you just rest one day? Oh, I'm not, I better not get too much in it. I'll ruin my lesson for later. But do come back. I thank God that he gave us a place and a repose that we don't have to wait for Saturday to rest. He wasn't talking, although in that day he may have talked about your your rest, your physical rest, but Hebrews chapter 4, we'll get into that later, but he said, if that rest would have worked, it would have continued to work, but it didn't work, just like the law didn't work. But now I'm going to give you something on the inside of you. With stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people, saying, this is the rest wherewith the weary are caused to rest. You know what apostolic churches ought to do? We ought to worship until somebody's so hungry for God they can receive the Holy Ghost just like they did in Acts chapter 10. We need the power of God so powerful in this service uh, that people can feel Calvary and the blood of Jesus Christ touching their lives and their spirits uh, and cleansing people from their past uh, and their failures uh, and letting the righteousness which is in Christ become a part of your life. He's going to write his law in your heart and his righteousness on the inside of you, making you what you are. I'm so glad to tell you that I didn't invent this. I didn't come up with this idea. But a long time ago, in the very beginning, was this plan of God that because of the failure of mankind, and he knew they would fail because choices is what causes people to fail. What we need today is not just the choice alone. We need to fulfill that choice. Obey the scriptures, walk with Jesus Christ, find the rest that he has promised to us, and let this church uh, and let other churches that will believe the word of God, let the power of the almighty God be in this place. Uh, I'm talking about restoration. Uh, I'm talking about healing. Uh, I'm talking about the power of God's spirit uh, that should be in the house of God. And that we should acknowledge who he is. He's here today. I said, he's here today. He's in this place because you have brought him. 
He doesn't dwell in buildings, tabernacles made of hands. He dwells in the hearts and lives of people. I'm so glad to tell you I know who he is. But I'm really glad, greater in a way, to tell you that he knows who I am. Because one day he wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Hallelujah. Verse 13, after he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. He said, But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. They did not accept it even when Jesus Christ came and introduced the new will. They rejected Christ. And too many people today are rejecting Jesus. Now that was a major prophet talking about the new will. Joel says the same thing in 228 of Joel, a minor prophet. This is the one that the Apostle Peter used on the day of Pentecost. And here's the difference. Isaiah spoke about his people and Israel, major prophet. But the Joel, Joel, the minor prophet, comes along, and he spoke about the day of Pentecost as if everyone could have it. So Peter didn't pick up Isaiah's prophecy. He picked up Joel's because he was introducing it to a bunch of Jews that was from around the world. My, there's so much to talk about right now. Because on the day of Pentecost, there were devout Jews from every nation under the sun, the Bible said. And they heard people speaking in their own tongue. But they were not learning from those because they said, what does this mean? If they were teaching them in their own tongue, they wouldn't have asked, what does this mean? But Peter stood up and clarified to them. But Joel made this statement, verse 28, chapter 2 of Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see vision also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out of my spirit. And they went on to talk about the millennial, the end of time when the heavens and the earth is going to be burned up and uh, blood and fire and pillars of smoke and all of that. And that's, that's yet to come. A whole new lesson. If you come back, we may get back to that someday. But he said, it'll come to pass in the last days or afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Hallelujah. That means if you are here today and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, being born again of water and of spirit, it is open to you. It is open to everyone, whosoever will. The veil in the temple was rent. You can press your way in. You can make it. Hallelujah. You say, well, I'm a failure. Oh, I don't care if you're a failure or not. Get up. Get up and walk on. Because we walk by the power of God, not by the power of our own will. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. I believe Jesus could touch somebody in this service right now that could change your life for eternity. I can preach till I'm blue in the face, and it will never affect some humanity. But my God knows how to get to your heart and put his word in your heart. He knows how to reveal himself to you in such a way that you will never forget the power and the anointing of the Almighty when he pours out his spirit upon all flesh and writes this in your heart. How many of you remember feeling the power of the Almighty God? Oh, that was a little bit weak. How many of you really remember feeling the power of the Almighty God? 
You had your personal Pentecost. Praise God. So when you look at what I've stated to you, you go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is an interesting book because it is called the Acts of the Apostles. It's how they acted and what they did with the new will, the last testament of Jesus Christ, who said, this is what I want you to do because in life we're waiting for the coming of the Lord and this is the promise. If you live by this will, you will inherit all things. Now, that, that didn't go over too well because evidently nobody gave you anything in life yet. <laughs> Maybe you didn't get in your will anything. You know, I stated last week where there's a will, I want to be in it. I'm in this will. If I live by Jesus Christ, there is an inheritance waiting me. <laughs> oh, don't get too excited about it now. There is an inheritance waiting for me and you. Oh, that's what I did wrong. I'm sorry. I said me. Uh, you. It's an inheritance waiting for you. There's a better day coming for you. <laughs> where we're going to be with Jesus forever because we're going to follow that will. We're going to live by that will. We're going to walk by that will. Oh, hallelujah. It must go on. So as we talk about this, you can go into the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is how the apostles acted after the death of Jesus Christ, his resurrection and ascension back into heaven. He told them to go to Jerusalem, as I already stated, when you go to the second chapter of the book of Acts, you find that they are at Jerusalem in an upper room, and that is where the first message of the new will was preached. No other message was preached from the book of Luke. As Luke picks it up and writes in the first chapter that he was the writer of the book of Acts, so you go from Luke to Luke's second writing in the book of Acts, and you find that in Acts chapter 2, they introduce it to the Jews. They introduce it to the Jews. Peter stands up and preaches to the Jews that are gathered to there. And the new will was introduced to the Jews. This is so beautiful. When you go to Acts chapter 8, you find that it was introduced to the Samaritans, which was not loved by the Jews as a whole. Let me just say this. When you get the Holy Ghost, you love everybody. The Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews and that war continues to go on over there because they never accepted Jesus over there but not here that war is not going on here we fell in love with Jesus <laughs> and so the Samaritans Philip went down and introduced himself to the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way to Samaria and there, they were studying the Word of God in the 8th chapter of Acts. And uh, so he introduced them to the new will. And then he called those from Jerusalem to make sure that the will was fulfilled right. And they came from Jerusalem, and they preached to them. 
and they laid their hands on them. They received the Holy Ghost. They heard them speak with tongues. They were baptized in Jesus' name as the new will stated. And then Acts chapter 10 is where we come into it. So it was introduced to the Jews. It was introduced to the, Gen the Samaritans. Acts chapter 10 was a Gentile that the Jews didn't believe for sure could be a part of the kingdom of God. And so Paul is up in an upper room. He's praying. He's in a trance. And the Lord sends a sheet down full of all kinds of animal meat. And the Lord said, take and partake. And he said, oh, no, I'll never let some un unclean come into my mouth. And the Lord said, don't call anything unclean that I have cleansed. And then he said, I'm going to send you to a place that I want you to cross the threshold from Jews to Gentiles. And I want you to take the message of New Testament belief into the house of Cornelius, which was a good man. You read about him. He, would, he paid tithe or gave alms, I should say, and he loved people. He had his whole house. Uh, he, he had all of his employees and all of his family together. And the Bible said he gave much alms and he prayed to God always. Uh, and he was praying. He was a good man. Remember this. He was a good man. Uh, and he gave his alms and he had his family together. But he didn't have what the New Testament offered him. And so the Lord said, I want you to get a hold of a man, and I want, him to, I want you to go and hear what he has to say. And he began to preach to me. So Apostle Peter came to his house and began to preach. This is a beautiful story, and I'm just giving you the highlights. You can read it in Acts chapter 10. But while the apostle is preaching, the Bible said, they that heard the word were filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, I wish our service could be so powerful. I wish we could come with one mind and one accord, as Acts chapter 2 said, and in every service somebody could receive the baptism. You know what it takes? It takes a bunch of people that really believes what the Bible says. It takes a bunch of people that really believes that worship brings the power of God. The word of God preached brings conviction. And somebody in this service today can lift their hands and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so Peter came down and he preached and some of them received the Holy Ghost. And this is the only place where there was a command, a command to be baptized in Jesus' name. The reason was that it didn't quite fit Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Bet death, burial, and resurrection. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, burial, and rising to walk in newness of life is receiving the Holy Ghost. It didn't quite fit the pattern. And the reason being, they were already praying, and no doubt had already repented enough that God saw from heaven and said, I want to send you a man that will preach to you the new will, the last will and testament. Oh, hallelujah. And they were so hungry that they, before they could even be baptized, uh, they, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then Paul commanded them to be baptized in Jesus' name. When you, when you read that passage of Scripture, you can understand fully what the Lord's doing in this last will and testament. He didn't leave them in a lurch. So now we have introduction to the Jews, introduction to Samaritans, introduction to the Gentiles. And then what does that leave? That leaves Acts chapter 19 and verse 1 through 5. While Paul passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples or certain believers. 
There were some believers that needed to be rebaptized. They'd only been baptized under John's baptism. And if baptism alone is all there was to baptism, they wouldn't have needed to be rebaptized. But because baptism is only one thing, but baptism in Jesus' name is another. So there, the Apostle Paul said to them, I want you to know that John merely baptized with a message of repentance, but that you should believe on him and should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And there, they were baptized in Jesus' name, rebaptized. So what's interesting about what I've given to you in this lesson today, trying to go slow enough for everybody to understand and grasp, the new will in the last testament of Jesus Christ was introduced to the Jews, it was introduced to the Samaritans, it was introduced to the uh, Gentiles, and then it was finally introduced to believers so that nobody be, would be left out, showing that believing alone is not essential. You have to have more than just believing because the devil believes also and trembles, the Bible said. So believing is a great part of it. It's your first step. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Oh, hallelujah. A rewarder. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So he introduced it to Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, and believers so that everybody's without excuse that the New, T New Testament, or the last will and testament as I call it, the last law, the last writings, the last demands, the last things that Jesus is requesting is given to us in a plain and simple understanding that we all could have it and understand it today. And as we stand today, I hope that I've went, gone slow enough that you could grasp what I was trying to help you. The major part of it is understand that the last will was commanded of the Lord to begin at Jerusalem. Old Testament prophets wrote about it. New Testament scriptures fulfilled it. And there at Jerusalem was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost and message that Peter preached pricked their hearts. And they said, men and brethren, what must we do? And Peter said, standing with the eleven, said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is not an apostolic doctrine of men. This is a biblical, scriptural, apostolic truth. He told them to go to Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem, and that will is still with us today. Hallelujah. That wheel is still with us today.